And welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. Machine. My name is Kyle. And I am just disappointed. And I'm the machine. Ah, yes. You are, uh, you're like Galileo. You're Scaramouche <laughs> over there. All right, this is a what podcast is for- it? <laughs> Why is Mike Myers in this movie? All right, keep going. Keep going. Oh, do you not know, actually? Uh, no. Because Wayne's World reinvigorated people's interest in Bohemian Rhapsody, oh, I know. the song. Oh, I know that. that. That's literally the only reason he is in yeah. this. No, I, I guess I just meant- Oh, you know, metaphysically wisey in this wise, movie. Yeah. Uh, this, this is, of course, a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. But the year just so happens to be the year 2018. And, uh, you know, this machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although, we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Of course, a big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue this show since, you know, Machine doesn't help us pay for these movies. Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. We are talking about Clint Eastwood, uh, oh, the right. Honky Tonk Man. That's what we're going to be talking about over there. His second 1982 movie, because we're still stuck in 1982 over there. Right, we're right. always one season behind over on the Patreon. Now, before we get into this week's film, Dave, there's so much to discuss <laughs> about Bohemian Rhapsody. It's just a, a dense film work. It's mm -hmm. going to be, there's so much meat on this bone. Rich. It's just rich. It's deep and rich. Yeah, but before we like get there, fictions. another deep and rich thing is the fiction that we create mm. each and every week. You know, last week I, we kind of blew past it because we had our guest on. We didn't want to get bogged down too much with to the people. Say, yeah. But uh, you might recall a couple weeks ago we went and uh, we're delivering these rabbits that had like exploded in my house and I was trying oh, to get yeah. rid of them. And we had a buyer. So gross. And I thought that they, they looked familiar. And then it occurred to me, Dave... Do you think that somehow DDS, DDS, oh, had like she's still alive? A daughter, like unstuck in time or something that we, she looks so familiar. Don't you think that buyer looks so familiar? Wait, what looks familiar? Did you say bunny? The buyer, the buyer oh, the of buyer. the bunnies. Ah, uh, sorry. Well, sorry, it's my headphones. She does, but there's something wrong with her teeth. They're mm, different. Yeah, they're just like, they stick out, they protrude somehow. Does she have too many incisors? Anyways, I don't know. I just, uh, I feel that there's something going on. I, I got bad vibes. Still sold her. Still took the money. I'm not going to yeah. lie. No, but there's something about it. her that, uh, I don't know. We might have to keep an eye on her. I wonder if she's got a certification and will have some other letters behind her name mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. might make a good pun. <laughs> Dave, yeah. don't make me try and improv on the spot some new letters. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you two are the furthest thing from professional. Dave, we are talking about... Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. I have unfortunately seen this movie before, and I'm sorry, everyone. There's lots of people who love this movie. Mm. I am not one of those people, so this is going to be me being negative. Do they love the movie or the music? I mean, I guess this is what we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I do think so. I think that the, the the love of Queen, the band Queen, definitely helps this movie out. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy singing along with that music myself. I think Freddie Mercury was a singular talent. But I guess to put a fine point onto it, what is your relationship with Queen? Just the band Queen? 
So I grew up obviously in the 80s and 90s. So Wayne's World introduced me to Queen. I had no access yeah, to it. A lot of people I, did. I mean, I suspect because of the MTV generation, I might have seen some of their music videos towards the end of their career. But really, Bohemian Rhapsody blows up in, nine, what is that, 93? 94? Mm, Wayne's World? Oh, yeah. 90, 91, 92, I think somewhere in there. It's the yeah, original Wayne's World. At any rate, yeah. And then I start delving into their discography if mm -hmm. they're still calling that now. And I love it. I love, you know, at the time too, I was getting into musicals, even though Kyle may not believe that. And uh, in Toronto, we had a big phantom uh, mania and all that kind of stuff. So just hearing rock opera and this sort of yeah. like uh, wide ranging sound, I, I, I wasn't into Zeppelin or any of this stuff yet. So it was big culture forming for yeah, me. Yeah, it was big. Like in, there was a big resurgence of Queen in the 90s and I think part of it was because I vividly remember I mean obviously Freddie Mercury passed away in 92 so mm -hmm. but also I vividly remember that one of my brother's friends had like the ultimate queen I think that came oh, yeah, out I like right those, around that time with the, the burgundy and the blue ones the crown uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah with the crown yeah, on the front of it there's two sets yeah classic queen and oh yeah. that's what it was yeah classic queen yeah. uh anyway i remember listening to that a lot and be like who are oh, these yeah. people like there's just something about it that like just draws you in so. under pressure oh you know what song i loved it was from the highlander um <laughs> at the yeah. end of the highlander is not show must go there uh anyways there's a queen song in that which is well that's there's also amazing. um there's a movie from the 80s guy with big blonde hair <sighs> That's like every, that's every Hollywood I know, but Queen does the soundtrack to it. That was like the big calling card. Oh, Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. Yes. The Flash Gordon movie where, where which, to be fair, is basically just one Queen song over and over again, but they did do the soundtrack. <laughs> I didn't that watch movie. that until, yeah, until well, I, what is that? Yeah. Like, yeah, very early. Yeah. I, I did not see that until I think I was 30 years old, but yeah. regardless, it is the Flash Gordon soundtrack. I actually also got into them. This pipe will not surprise you, Dave. Huge Weird Al fan, like a oh, loved yeah. Weird Al growing up. Weird Al's awesome, yeah. Uh, and they parodied a couple of them, but like another one rides the bus instead of another one bites the dust. Right. <laughs> they used, uh, he actually did a cover of Bohemian Rhapsody on one of his albums too. Oh, I so, didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, I've never heard that. I, I think Weird Al brought me in the classic queen that my brother's friend had. Uh, they were very, they were very popular and remain so up until yes. this day. So Rightfully. This new queen... We'll leave that alone. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll park that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll leave for Adam Lambert. Yeah, I mean, thing. I don't mind Adam Lambert. I actually he think can he's, sing. A, he's a good singer. Yeah, he's not Queen. <laughs> no. How about uh, there's two other people associated with this movie? I think we should just have a brief discussion about first is yeah. the lead actor Rami Malek. So, mm. uh, what, what's your impression of Rami Malek? I, I don't really have one. I know um, I know he was famous for Mr. Robot, which mm -hmm. I didn't watch. I did, or was already off cable. I didn't like. Is it Spectre? He's wait. Which no, Bond he's is the, he? He's in the last Bond, so he's oh, in okay. um, no, no Time to Die. No Time to Die. And I do appreciate what they're doing with that character, but I don't know. He was fine. And then uh, and this movie. And outside of that, I don't think I know much about him other than uh, the hype machine that he's the greatest thing he, since sliced yeah, bread. Yeah. There's some kind of weird stories that come out about him. I, I don't want to get into gossip too much because none of that has been really proven or anything like that. But often called like cold or kind of weird. Like eccentric. He has an eccentric. eccentric I think is probably the, yeah. the right word. Uh, I don't mind him. I also have never watched Mr. Robot. I've seen clips. He seems fine. He's hosted Saturday Night Live. Thought he was pretty funny on that appearance okay. that he was on. I don't on. think I've ever even seen a clip of that. That's interesting. Hasn't yeah. popped up on my YouTube algorithm. 
I guess that is about it that I kind of know Rami Malek from. Oh, I, I'm one of the weird people who is like way more positive about the last Bond film. So ah. I actually like his performance. I like the villain. I think it's a good send off to the Daniel Craig Bond series. So I'm kind of more pro that film, I think, than most it people It's definitely are. better than Spectre. But yes. I think I've just lost my patience with movies that are too long and over, over I will agree that <laughs> Bond films, I think, in general, should not be more than like... 215 at the most maybe so, yeah. yeah two hours would be nice if yeah you're they're, aiming they're for something. like a, a lean like we have action they get those good action set pieces and then we're out right we don't yeah. need to belabor the point he manipulates women he shoots a bunch of guys and we go home mm. but now it's uh it got a little too crazy i can understand why daniel craig just wanted to be done with it oh yeah he, well <laughs> i think you can, you can definitely see that inspector specifically he's like i just oh, yeah. want to be done with this and i have <laughs> one more miserable. contractually obligated appearance to be in so <laughs> who directed the specter was it sam mendes anyway sam mendes uh, did specter yeah and he's then, just uh, like oh this is great and bond's like i'm not acting yeah, yeah, I still remember that. That's like the promo for Spectre was all about like, come see the new Bond film. And also sub, sub point, Daniel Krug is retiring from acting because he hated doing this so much. <laughs> <laughs> so glad that they brought him back in with Knives Out. I feel like Knives Out kind of reinvigorated him actually enjoying the acting process Oh, he process looks like he's again. having so much fun. When I watched uh, Glass Onion and it starts and I was like, this is not the accent I remember, but you know, he's acting. It's fun. Yeah. He's acting as an actor. Honestly, give me 15 more Benoit Blanc mysteries. I'm all for it. I'm have you watched there. the TV show? I don't have access to No, Peacock. I'm not seeing it. Although I've heard nothing but good things about his uh, poker face. I yeah. like Natasha Leona a lot. Yeah. Apparently the same universe. So we'll see. Oh, interesting. Uh, the other person. You can ask me about Brian Singer. Yeah. What's your relationship with Brian Singer? I just Singer? watch X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're the like big Brian Singer fan. You're like oh, so yeah, pro Brian Singer. Is he Usual Suspects? Yes. That's okay. where he kind of shot to fame from. Well, I haven't rewatched Usual, Usual Suspects, but that was one of those culture-forming movies for me because I remember seeing that in this tiny little basement theater in Toronto and just mm -hmm. leaving like, holy shit, yeah. Kaiser Shose. And then um, I did like the X-Men movie when that came out. As I was joking with Kyle in the last episode, uh, that was the first date I went on with my soon-to-be wife. And then, uh, I don't know, I know he's embroiled in some awful scandals and he's essentially cancelled. Yeah. Yeah, he's basically canceled at this point. But rewatching X-Men, I'm not sure if he's actually a great director or not. I think that is maybe what I have kind of discovered is like he can definitely be competent if you give him a good script. He can, mm -hmm. he can help uh, usher that through. But uh, as a creative force, I'm not so, uh, I don't Convinced know, beholden to, to Brian Singer specifically. Brian Singer got in trouble because he beholding people. I will say, being like the internet person that I am, like stories about him were pretty well known even like 15 years ago that mm. he groomed young men to come to his like island slash you know mansion and then bad things kind of happened there and everyone kind of knew about it but didn't care because they made money for the studio like that's basically the position brian singer has yeah, been i love in. hollywood yeah yeah great so i wasn't that upset by his like me too moment where people kind of came for him was like oh uh, yeah I'm, yeah sorry I, i'm not upset about it either i don't yeah. think we lost anything no. Um, no and actually since that time it's like you can see people that worked with him in the past like do not give a fuck anymore uh, specifically yeah. jennifer lawrence she's like honestly worst experience i've ever had was working with brian singer those oh, three what, times what was she oh the, the x did he do Oh, he did the reboots too? Uh, a couple of them. He didn't do oh. First Class, but he did the, the one after Days that. Days of Future Days Past. Days of Future Past, yeah. Brian Singer. Well, he does get fired <laughs> on this one, so. 
uh, it's been many, many years since I've watched The Usual Suspects. I, was, I remember liking it quite a bit. Uh, yes. That is the, always the example. Well, look at the, how many careers that launched. That's Benicio del Toro, Kaiser oh, uh, yeah. Kevin Billy Spacey, Baldwin. bringing back. Uh, yeah, gave Billy Baldwin some clout for yeah. at least ten years. Uh, he got onto some reality TV shows, and then uh, Gabriel Byrne. Oh right? yeah, Gabriel he kind of disappeared too. That was like his zenith. Maybe it doesn't hold up anymore. I know that quite famously, uh, Roger Ebert hated that movie. <laughs> When it came suspects? out. Suspects? Oh, yeah. okay. Basically, he just, his his uh, basic point was like, it just is building up to a twist and then it's a twist and then it doesn't really comment on anything uh, else okay. about the movie. Like that was yeah. his, whatever. That's for beside the, the point. Twist, but the, right. the big thing that people use that movie as an example for is kind of like the exception that proves the rule because it actually breaks every screenwriting piece of advice they give to you, uh, which is unreliable narrator, lots of voiceover. There's like three other things that he said, like, never do this in a script. And mm-hmm. like that one was nominated for a best screenplay award. He didn't write that, right? No, no, it was another yeah. person who went on to do, I can't remember. I can't remember what that screenwriter went on to do. It was just like his first script that he wrote. It was like a weird story. But that's not this film. We get to talk about <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. Dave, you've seen this movie before? I have, mm-hmm. yes. What were your thoughts, your impressions back then? You know, what's interesting is Helen and I were talking about this as we were prepping to watch this too. I'm pretty sure we watched this uh, as a COVID movie and we both remember thinking it was fine. But I think, and we'll talk about this soon, that I just remember there being queen music in it because this movie is <laughs> fucking terrible. Even Helen stopped watching. <laughs> yeah. I, again, I'm usually the positive one on here. So I always hate when I have to come here like, well, here's me being super negative about everything. I, I don't think that this is like an absolute travesty. It's like not one of the no. worst movies of all time. It's not a, it's not a million dollar duck. No. It's not but, a, yes, George. Yeah. Outside of the musical performances, there's really nothing here. Like there's no. not anything here to talk about. And, and I think most of the performances are actually kind of bad. Like I don't think yeah. they're actually good. And uh, none of it's true. They fucking changed the well, story. According to this one article I wrote, this like independent researcher, they claim that 80% of it is true or near true. Uh, they, they changed the it. sequence of but when the songs so came much. out. Yeah. They changed when he actually is aware and lets the band know that he has HIV. Like, yeah, the firing doesn't fucking, happen. Like, there's no. all this other stuff. Like, none of Even this stuff. Even the uh, assistant and his insidious manipulation, apparently that's also ne- a concoction. Happened, yeah. What a fucking joke. Sorry. So, yeah, before we get into this, then, before we yeah. take our break and come back and actually talk about the movie, this is something that I brought up before, and I feel like you made fun of me for this. This does not happen in this movie, but it's why I hate, hate, hate when a movie starts with based on a true story. I'm like, it's Mm. okay. They use that all the time to be like, and this is all true. It's like, well, except 70% of it is made up. Like, I hate that marketing. The thing is, I get that you kind of have to compress the time frame a little bit just to like get dramatically to the point that you're doing. So I don't hate that much, but when you're making up entire facts, it feels like you're not outright lying, but you're definitely misleading i think yeah uh, the the reality of the situation you and i i don't know if we are exceptions to the rule on this as well but biopics have this problem you're trying too hard to squeeze in too many years and too much information that isn't actually always thematically lined up with itself Mm because human lives are messy and so if they were going to make a film let's say to tell a story about who Freddie Mercury really was, you don't need to do his career from a baggage handler. You can just right. take, you know, let's say three years of maybe when they were having trouble as a band to show who he could have been, who he was to other people. You can write 
a good story and still have insight into who he was. And you can end with Live Aid if you want. Well, I, yeah, um, I think that the, it's that, weird, right? I think that's what got people excited about this project. It's like, we're going to recreate the Live Aid performance that so, so many people love. And I was like, cool, fine. That's a great, that's if a that's fine enough do, reason yeah. to make a movie, I suppose, sure. is to recreate this the sequence. But to your point, yeah, this is what has always frustrated me about uh, biopics the most, is that there is always this feeling like, well, we have to tell this grand story that goes over 15 or 20 years. Well, I think it might have been a much better thing. It's like, hey, band is breaking up. Live Aid, they re reunite and they perform. It's a compact story. You can tell things through quick little flashbacks if you need to or dialogue scenes and end with this really cool performance. Otherwise, just like my issues with like Gandhi and some of the other biopics that we've watched, it just starts to feel like a list you're checking off. Like, and then this thing yes. happens and then this thing happens and then this thing happens. It's like, okay, but like this isn't additive to what is happening to this person as a character. And in this case, the list is wrong. <laughs> Right? It's a fabrication, yeah. which is even yeah, crazy. songs come up before they actually came out. Yeah. And, I hate too, with this, we're getting, we might as well just review it, but I hate how invisible the band is. I know they try to attribute a few of the writing credits to them, but they have no character. They're, they have no presence in this film, which is such a waste. And when we talk about the history of this, that becomes even more bizarre because that's basically what the band was pushing for. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be included more. But if people don't know, the high note in Bohemian Rhapsody is the drummer. It's not even Freddie Mercury. Like, I know that's in the film, but they are musicians and they wrote these songs. And like, yeah. I think they poke at it, but they're they're people too, Kyle. Drummers <laughs> people are people too, too man. Uh, not on my watch, they're not. Okay, so what we'll do, we're going to take a small break. We'll go thank some people. Uh, might just be me solo. This is It's a weird recording schedule so, we're going through here. I love how here. naive you are that you actually think that there's still a sponsor. There's nothing, and, Kyle. <laughs> and then when we come back, we're going to be talking way more about Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, as expected, Dave has wandered away, is shirking his duties, so me and the machine are going to have to hold down the fort by ourselves. Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This week, we are brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation itself. You know, the foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. The 2022 report focused on systemic racism in Edmonton. Learn more at ecfoundation.org. Machine, what do you have for us? This episode is brought to you by Taproot Spotlight, a service that helps businesses and organizations pay attention to the people they serve. Taproot tells you the news about the people and companies that are important to you. Use that information internally to keep everyone on the same page, or share it with the world in your newsletter, on your website, and on your social media channels. Paying attention pays dividends. Find out more at taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. That's taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. All right, Dave, we have sat down, we've, you know, rewatched Bohemian Rhapsody, but just in case people have not seen this movie and are listening along here for us or to us, let's do a quick description of the plot. So here's our scenario. Let's say that we, we've gone to a Queen tribute concert at the mm. Grey Eagle Casino here in Calgary. <laughs> here in Calgary. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> that's probably what they would come. And I've just bought an Adam Lambert t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to go see the Queen Experience is probably what they would be called. And uh, we're sitting in the crowd and we're looking around and we are by far the youngest people there. Someone turns around and they actually have a DVD copy of Bohemian Rhapsody. And he's like, you know, I know the band, but like, what's this movie about? Mm. Also, they have a really great mustache. What are you going to say? You need one. I wish I could grow one. Yeah, what is this movie? I mean, it's it's pretty simple. I guess you would say this movie follows the formation of Queen and the life of Freddie Mercury as they approach mm-hmm. their famous performance at the Live Aid concert in 1985. That performance, by the way, if people haven't YouTubed it, it's fucking insane. It's great. Yeah, it, it yeah. does. There's a reason why they're so famous for it. It's... It's amazing. It's a great, great performance. I remember when this movie came out, there was people online who did like a side-by-side comparison Mm -hmm. of like the movie versus like the actual footage from Live Aid. And it it does sync up pretty well for a lot of it. So Other than the set list has changed. So, I mean, I don't think there's going to be any surprise if we basically said this before the break, the massive break we just had where we're talking about all of our sponsors (laughs) we have for this episode. And uh, so what were your thoughts this time? Yeah, it was it was even more disappointing. I think what sucks is that it, it sullies the name of Queen. Oh, the music is so good yeah. because like there's something magical, there's something eternal even about the sound that Queen achieves in rock and roll. Like even my son, he's eight. If you put on Queen, he's not going to ask you to turn it off. There's a great power. And it's not, you know, they never go off into that shrill or too fantastical or weirdness or the death metal-y sound mm-hmm. they're great they have so many different powerful anthems so when they put that in this film like i was singing along and i'm toe tapping and i'm like yeah this this is great mm-hmm. and every other part i'm like why is this in here why are we moving so fast to the first 10 years of their life why do you even put it in there it's like hard cuts the editing's fucking terrible uh it's academy award winning dave oh it's a mess people made fun of this at the time uh, and people often say this like replace best with most and you can usually predict mm. who's going to win the category because this has a lot of editing in it there's yeah. a scene with mike myers where i'm not even joking it's like boom 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 for just kind of random points around the room it's like can we just like position people so we can just see what's going on instead of like just doing these hard cuts constantly i was thinking about this after because you told me that this oscar winning and then learning of course that uh you know this is basically two movies pieced together maybe the industry was like i can't believe it took these two piles of crap and made a narrative that kind of made sense so here's mm. your award because it's certainly not for artistic achievement right no. this is not a beautiful film this is not a film that moves at a regular or even even pace like you can have like a baz Luhrmann film that's frenetic and like super mm-hmm. poppy and crazy but this isn't even that there's parts that really drag and they're like so tonally weird and i don't know it's just it was super awkward. I think it's awkward that you believe your opinion matters. I think the biggest issue here is that because the rest of Queen was so involved in the creation of this or the making of it, that no one wanted just to be like, you know, we were kind of assholes at times. Mm. Okay, I'm going to go way back here. Do you remember the movie Walk Hard, the Dewey <laughs> Cox story yeah. with yeah. John C. Riley? That movie has basically ruined me specifically for music biopics because like it's like, oh, and this is when the band has a fight. Oh, and this is when he's introduced to drugs. Oh, and this is when they break up. Oh, and this is when they come back to you. Like, it's the, they've set the template so much that it's like, Ricky Bobby, like, no, not Ricky Bobby in that movie, but like, Dewey, you don't want to see this. And this is like, oh my God, <laughs> like it, it, this feels like it is a parody 
satiring the parody it's not yeah. supposed to be a parody and and i think they're afraid of actually digging into it because as i was leading up to it is so bonkers that there's this scene right which didn't happen but the, the guy who does the Machiavellian plan of getting the other guy to say that he should mm. break up with the band. So then that guy gets fired and then he goes in and it's like, I can't believe that guy tried to break up the family. Literally three seconds later, next scene, you guys are weighing me down. And you know, this band, I'm like, what happened in these three seconds? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just so frustrating. It feels like, well, that needs to be there because he has to be shown to be a jerk so that you can have the, the light bulb moment later on to bring the band back together. But it's, it's so like surface level that no one is ever shown to be like, no, like we got seriously into fights and we seriously had a problem. And he really went off the rails at, at this juncture in his life. And I'm a little bit hair triggered on this type of stuff. And so wild because Brian Singer is a gay man on how homosexuality is portrayed in this movie as if mm. it is the same as like having like... <laughs> I don't know, like Fetish. a drug addiction or like it's yeah. like some seriously bad thing that he's devolving into. Still pretty closet at this point, right? Like he had a loving relationship with the with the last shaman whose name I'm yes. now forgetting. That is never shown in this movie no. whatsoever. Afterthought. Yeah, the idea that he would chase him down en route to Live Aid, to have Live time Aid. to introduce and have a spiritual moment with his family mm -hmm. and then end up on stage and blow the fucking roof off of the roofless Wembley. It's shit. It's fucking ridiculous. And I want to be very careful because it's not like they sullied the memory of Queen. It's more than that. Pretend this is a completely fictional film. I think it right. fails on so many levels of just telling a compelling story. It's relying so much on your knowledge of like, hey, that's a Queen song. I like that Queen song. Yes. And therefore, I like this scene. It is so eye-rollingly bad, that scene where he's in the hospital getting medication and walks yeah. out and there's another guy and that goes, Ayo. And he like yeah. turns like very dramatically, Ayo. And he pushes the door open, like, <laughs> fuck off. Like, that's so stupid. <laughs> really? First yeah. of all, it's like, again, I know you have to invent certain things, but it's like, that absolutely a thousand percent never happened. It just took no. me right out of the, the progression of the movie. But, you know, exactly like you said, I think whomever wrote the script, and I, I wouldn't necessarily expect that it's the script itself that sucked, but... The script, the directors, the producers, and Queen, you can definitely tell that they had a set list. They were like, oh, you know, we need to get uh, Under Pressure, we need to get I Want to Break Free, we need to get Bohemian, we need all, we will rock you. Um, so, how do we get to these songs? Because that's definitely what this feels like. And they're like, mm -hmm. well, loosely we wrote it here, so Freddie's got to have long hair and still right. be closeted and throw some bags around in a carousel. Now, apparently the band didn't even meet the way that's portrayed in this film. Like what? No. What is the point of a biopic? They knew each other. Like it wasn't like a meeting yeah. afterwards. They knew each other already. Like what's the point of a biopic if you learn nothing truthful about the subject matter? <laughs> it's so insulting. And I know Wikipedia doesn't help because we get to learn that after the fact. And maybe um, you just rewatched Amadeus. Like that has nothing to do, frankly, with Mozart's real life. Yeah, that's completely made up too. But I don't remember. I don't think... That Amadeus tells you that it's real. <laughs> well, that's the thing, yeah. Um, very forward with like, this is a fictional interpretation of the yeah. end of Mozart's life. Like, that would, I would respect this film more if they had either used allegory and at least, I don't know, just did something where you would know that it's not meant to be accurate, but it portrays itself as a documentary, which I think is the most egregious part of it. And I, I just don't know. I think... On Letterboxd, I wrote that it feels... Basically like a made-for-TV movie. It has a bigger budget, obviously, but that's mm -hmm. the, like the feel I have for it, where it's confined very often to like one rooms, 
not shot all that dynamically, in my opinion, with acting that I don't think is all that good. I'm not going to necessarily blame the actors because it was pretty a contentious like, set. So I'm going to guess that <laughs> they were yeah, just like, trying to get by. Remy, Remy Malik's ability to pantomime, not pantomime, that's silent, but like to ape. Ooh, mm -hmm. That's a bad way to put it. But to just appear as Freddie Mercury's on-screen persona is it's good like yeah. it's i think he's at his best when he's on stage i think those yeah. moments actually do work but then you know the prosthetics and some of his more so-called tender moments become very distracting because he doesn't look like a human being there's something there's something, yeah, there's something there. garish I, that they that they lean yeah. into they overemphasize his uh his i guess you want to call it deformity of his birth the uh, um dental work it's like just you can let it go well okay yeah this is kind of the biggest thing and this is one of the other things i think that really degrades a lot of uh, biopics they prioritize finding someone who looks like the person rather than just finding a good actor to fit the role that they need to be in there and i get that people would be like well he doesn't look like uh, he doesn't look like freddie mercury if you cast i don't know daniel day lewis i, I, I get it christian bale would have done it christian bale who pick pick your person it's like i i, I Timothy get Chalamet. that i get that aspect because he's so recent and we don't really care if it's like george the third because no one knows who george the third looks like but because he's so recent we know what he looks like we have so many pictures of him they prioritize that which is kind of in a way why i actually do like the uh the danny boyle movie steve jobs where it's like we're just gonna get a good actor doesn't look like steve jobs at all but we yeah. need him to be able to hit these dramatic beats. So we're just going to cast this person. If anybody can do uh, psychotic, it's going to be Michael Fassbender. Right, exactly. What happens here, too, is because when you listen to Freddie Mercury talk, he sounds like a normal person. Like, yeah. you know, he has an accent. Doesn't sound he's like in a, the UK. He's wearing dentures. <laughs> right. And that's the issue in this one. It's like you can tell that he's wearing an appliance. It's actually kind of, it's going to be a weird comparison, I know. But certain vampire films where they have the yes. vampire talk, you can tell they're wearing appliances because they're trying to talk. No, it's not a weird comparison at all. It's totally the same. It, they overemphasized it. I think mm -hmm. it doesn't matter about the teeth. I think is what the issue. You could just put some front teeth things on there if you wanted to. Is that putting this right. whole dental appliance into his face? I, I mean, I, I know that to your point, they're trying to make Rami Malek who already like Rami Malek's got a connection to this story he's a first generation American and he has Egyptian yeah. roots so like you know I'm sure he can inhabit the spirit of uh trying to fit in etc right and mm -hmm. so you can see some emotional resonance there but like this to the point where it's like we need to make his face as identical to Freddie Mercury's face as possible in the concert scene but it's gonna look weird if we take these giant fucking dentures out of his mouth when he has to do drama you're gonna have to make it work it's just too bad because I think that there had to have been a more subtle way to do it mm -hmm. where it wasn't about the teeth every scene, but that's all you can see in mm -hmm. every scene. Even when he's, you know, burying his soul about his relationship with his beard, I guess, or with yeah. his lovers or with his band. It's like he has his mouth guard and he's about to go yeah. to bed. That's exactly right. It's not Rami Malek's fault. I guess no. maybe he gets an Oscar because he could still look like a human being doing all of this <laughs> shit, right? But right. it's very distracting. I think both of you would be better with some dental work done. Yeah, this is the other thing too, because they are going so fast through his history, because they feel yes. so compelled to go through like right before the band up until this live aid moment. There's just this incongruity to his character because you start off, baggage handler goes to meet the band, sings a note, but he's still like very reserved and like very unsure of himself. And then it's like one year later, it's like, I'm outrageous. And he's like flopping around on bed and he's wearing like silk robes. I'm like, I need to know. <laughs> what happened what here? Open that up. Yeah. yeah. For us who are a little bit older, we could imply 
that that's following 60s, 70s rock culture in general. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's the thing about this movie. Even, even the parents, I feel like it opens re reasonably strong with their uh, family in the mm -hmm. sense that we get this immigrant family tension. And then you don't see them for 10 years. And then they reappear with the worst old age makeup <laughs> I've ever seen in a film. Right? Yeah. And they try to have this redemption arc. You could have just slipped them in in the middle somewhere so that we can see how they're reacting to all of the fame and his disappearance. But they're just, maybe they cut that scene out. Maybe they did shoot some stuff with them. But I thought when they came back, it, was, it really kicked the movie, uh, kicked me in the teeth, so to speak, because mm -hmm. uh, I was excited to get to the Live Aid. I forgot how long they let that go. You know, you could have just done We Are the Champions or the sure. AO and it would have been good enough, but they really let it rip. What is it, like five songs? It's, it's easily they, they 10, basically 15 do, minutes. They do like a very abbreviated version of the entire concert. I think yeah. they only cut one or two of the actual performances it's from like this, it. Which so, I know, runs I, for two and two yeah. and a half, two and 15. Like, I think that that's fine you you cut out 20 minutes of the middle of this movie that you don't actually need to be there yeah. like that could be the culmination of your big set piece that you're building towards i think what really rubbed me the wrong way this time that i don't remember from my first viewing but it really stood out to me here i do think that there's this really interesting thematic thing that they were trying to hit and i think would have been worthy of hanging your your movie on whether it was true or not i suppose which is like freddie like our our faith is all about like giving back and like setting up the next generation for better than they are now. And that's in part what Live Aid is about. But that isn't really why they're going to perform at Live Aid either. It's like no. <laughs> they, they want to have their like cake and at least in the film. Too, yeah. In the film at least. Because yeah. it's like, we're gonna get back together and we're gonna show them that Queen is still on top. Oh, and I guess it's also because we're giving back. And then they they have to do that cut uh, cut away from their performance like the the phones are off the hook it's like Queen has saved oh. the day for Live Aid I'm like I don't know if that's it's bullshit true. too right yeah. you get like a stand-in for Bob Geldorf and then you're like <laughs> oh nobody gave a shit about famine until Freddie until Mercury Queen opened his came mouth on stage, give yeah. me a break I also don't know much about Live Aid and uh, tracking. <laughs> tracking the time of donations <laughs> mm -hmm. and maybe there's a huge spike when uh, queen's playing who knows but i think framing it that way in the film and really like worshiping them deifying them is everything wrong with this film actually it kind of encompasses what why this film fails for me it's trying its best to just paint over a gritty problematic rock band's life mm -hmm. um, to make them look like they had it figured out yeah i think right? that's the weird thing is that this at least for me you can just feel how sanitized this is like they're trying to have like the gritty certain scenes but it's the like we're not really gonna stuff. go far enough into this to no. really feel like it's that's, damaging if they wanted to yeah if you wanted to do that and still end at live aid and you wanted to make it about him needing to be closeted i mean that in itself could have been a worthy biopic, story, yeah. right? If it was about the band and how uh, they had tension, apparently they didn't even break up and they actually had all solo projects in that time. Mm -hmm. But if you wanted to talk about tension between, and this is a classic rock problem, right? The front man, the guitarist, the bass, nobody cares about the bassist. <laughs> and only after, you know, maybe Rush and, and uh, Phil Collins do people even know the names of drummers, right? Right. So if you want to talk about stuff like that, great. That's not what they want to do either. They have this weird thing where everybody suddenly has wives and Freddie Mercury's uh, manipulator is very jealous and they're implying some homophobia, except it never reflects on Freddie Mercury. Like the whole thing just, it's very hard to get a read. That's what I mean. It's like they, 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 they go up to the edge and then they immediately pull it back. Mm -hmm. Ringo for life as far as uh, drummers go. Why is Mike Myers in this movie? <laughs> 
it's embarrassing. I honestly think it's just for the the Wayne's World. I know. Reference. I know that's because it's why they he basically, got cast. They go all the way up to almost winking at the camera, where it's like people are never going to headbang to this song. Like, yeah. just look at the camera. Like, Didn't he okay. break the fourth wall there? No. It's like okay, well, buddy. Like yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I've just felt cheap, and I I like Mike Myers. I I uh, we found he tried to rebuild the Gong Show, and oh, I know. Uh, that turned on and I was like, Mike Myers. And Helen's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, when Mike Myers puts on an accent, no matter how much makeup, <laughs> tell. he's still Mike Myers. And I, I loved him for it in the 90s, but my God, what a mess. If you yeah. have some time, I don't know if it fully holds up, although I did still enjoy it when I watched it. So I married an axe murderer. Yeah. Like last year. He goes and speaks with his family, who's all Scottish. And it's like, oh, that's just bad bastard, but like skinnier. Yeah. <laughs> that's what his dad that's is. That's like uh, I don't know if I could handle Nutty Professor. You know, mm-hmm. Ed Murphy, Eddie Murphy has this thing too, where, you know, no matter who he's pretending to be, he's still, still Eddie, Murphy. Eddie Murphy, right? And that used to be part of the joke, but you can't insert that into a film, you know, unless you're Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. Now, I wanted to like it more. I want to prove you wrong because you're shit talking this last episode before we watched it, but you're right. Mm-hmm. It's awful. It's worse than I remember. And I th- honestly, didn't remember any of the scenes as we were watching it. And I think I just had selective blackouts between the songs. And that's what I think. I think that what prevents us from being like an outright worst movie of all time contender is those performances actually do hold up. I mean, they're basically just karaoke. Uh, yeah. They're not even karaoke. They're like uh, lip sync. Yeah. Right. Performances. Interestingly, what they do is that they, it's not just like the CD that they're playing. It sounds like it's like soundboard performances they're taking from certain performances. Maybe. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me because uh, vocalizations do not happen that way on the actual records. That's right. Rock bands are very well documented at this point. So maybe they they use concert footage or yeah, studio uh, studio yeah. recordings, etc. Like when they're layering uh, Bohemian mm-hmm. Rhapsody, you know, they, they have the masters. So yeah, they're so they figuring could. out how to give it to you. Uh, that stuff's so fun. And I think you could, they ought to have just made the movie about that too. That would have been good. Uh, this movie could have been 60 minutes. This is back to your old favorite criticism of movies, which I push back occasionally, but in this case, I think it's apt. <laughs> Why is this movie called Bohemian Rhapsody? I don't know. It's not about Bohemian it's Rhapsody. It's not about Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like, okay, you were expecting that that's going to be like, I don't know, the cornerstone of this movie. And it is a specific portion of this movie, but then that's forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> we get to the end of the movie. It never plays again. And Bohemian Rhapsody became number one again. I'm like, okay, like I, that's I, great, I guess. They didn't even play it at Live Aid, I don't think. I don't think so. Oh, no, he starts off. Uh, oh, he starts off that no, way. No, he starts I mean, off with that way. With a little yeah. riff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what else you call this, right? Uh, Live Aid. It's tough, right? The store, Freddie Mercury. You gotta call this movie Freddie. You could call it like Freddie or something Freddy, like that if yeah. you wanted to. My, my, always my compulsion. The, the stories that can be considered uh, biopics or biopics that I enjoy the most are a very like small portion of the person's life, whether it's like a couple of years or a month or like whatever it happens to be. So you can just really focus in on this one moment in time. And so whether that was the creation of Bohemian Rhapsody to prove the record company wrong. Yes. That they could actually make this work. That's a movie. That's a movie you could hang a hat on. Or if you want to do it thematically and not necessarily yeah. just have to pick three years, just pick one theme instead of trying to tackle them all. So yeah, yeah, if it's going to be about fighting the music industry and subverting expectations by making an opera, yeah, make it about that. If it's about being closeted, make it about that. If it's about uh, the famine and what was happening, that Live Aid even had to happen and, and Queen's relationship to that. If it's about his immigrant roots. I mean, I only found out he was from uh, Zoroastra, part of India, like 
mm-hmm. 10 years ago. I didn't right. know that when I was listening to Queen, you know. That stuff's fascinating and this movie uh, was not. Okay, well, let's do some backstory here and then we can wrap this up. So, this movie opens up on November 2nd, 2018, at least worldwide. It did open up in the UK a couple of weeks before that. It is rated currently 3.5 on Letterboxd. That's a 7.9 on IMDb, but has a 49 on Metacritic. On Rotten Tomatoes, from 419 critics, it has a 60%, so almost rotten, according to that metric. And then from 10,000 plus users, it has an 85%. So once again, you see this huge split between critics and fans. It's amazing that we have an almost rotten critical assessment mm-hmm. that is Oscar nominated and winning. It, it is. Yeah, I, do, I do agree with broken. that. Yeah. yeah, super weird. How did this get slipped in? Just a lot of uh, marketing money? Like, why was this so. even nominated? I don't know. I think Hollywood is so small, right? Like, we, I think we can constantly think that it's so big, but there's probably some people on this, on this set it was good enough. It made enough money for them to be like, we could probably nominate this and not get mm. too much pushback. As I mentioned last week, this is probably one of the worst lineups for Best Picture in the last, like, I don't know, 10 years. Like, it's pretty bad. Not for a lack of good movie. No, yeah, that's what it is. I don't know why so many bad ones slip through, but regardless. Available on DVD and Blu-ray, it is available to rent on both YouTube and iTunes. And at least here in Canada, you can stream it on Disney+. Plus. The budget for this movie is said to be $50 million. Now, I can maybe believe that. Part of that is because this went way over time in filming. So that's uh, probably not what it initially was supposed to be budgeted for. This would go on to make so much money. It made $910 million worldwide. Avengers money. Uh, It was the sixth highest grossing movie of the year. This is one of those examples that disproves my point from a few years ago where people were not going and seeing like non-franchise films. <laughs> this, oh. this made a bunch of money and it, yeah. I guess, about someone that they know. But well, when we started this podcast, you heralded that independent cinema had died. I, I just think <laughs> that it got drowned out because some of these big companies are making unconscious, like just stupid, you know, obviously tax fraud money. Like there's something right. wrong with the way people post budgets and box office now. It just... It, it's nonsensical, like $2 billion. Well, and as I keep pointing out to you, the the budgets, I agree with you. I don't believe any of the budgets that they say, yeah. really. Uh, box office cannot be faked. because uh, it, uh, You can the, fake whatever you want. I mean, the IRS will come for you if you say, my movie made a billion dollars. And it's like, mm, maybe it did not. It depends on what they mean by box office. That yeah. stuff's a game. I mean, if we've learned anything in late stage American capitalism, there, mm. you can't trust any of it. It's, it's weird because like if... Marvel is making that much money. Are you saying that Avatar is a laundering money day? Yes. If they made that much money four times a year, then the MCU would shoot everything on site without a green screen, even if they have to pump a movie out every year. Because it's just money, right? But there's, it, they always talk about how, oh, we only made 600 million. It's a flop. It's like, uh, is it? Does that make sense? How is your business? Like, how are you losing <laughs> money on this? Something weird. Something doesn't add up. Its plot description from IMDb is the story of the legendary British rock band Queen and lead singer Freddie Mercury leading up to their famous performance at Live Aid 1985. Oh, that was pretty close. It is time now to play everyone's favorite game, Guess Guess That that Tag. This is, of course, the sh- part of the show where I get to test Dave's knowledge of taglines on movie posters. You know, when you go into a movie theater, you see that row of posters and there's this succulent, this sweet, this juicy <laughs> tag. 
piece of text that's on the movie poster that's like mm, oh i really want to see this like, movie like uh, foley in there like just wet asmr shit just like <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and dave i know what you're you're gonna be lining up for this weekend you're going out to see shazam you're seeing the sequel to shazam oh, is that actually coming out in the theaters mm-hmm. i like the first one yeah first one's fine I know nothing about the second I one. Don't, yeah, I don't. I, I thought they were all getting shit canned because of James Gunn. Pella Mirren is uh, in it. She's in everything though. She's having fun. The Rachel Zegler, uh, Maria from West Side Story is going to be in it. I don't remember so, her. Honestly, uh, I just remember Aria, Arian or whatever. Bows, yeah. yeah. Anyways, Shazam is out this <laughs> week and uh, you can go and see it. Oh, I'm, I'm ready. I've pre-queued. <laughs> you know, Dave, you, the taglines are all there, of course, to make you go and see the movie. So I'm giving you three options. One of these is the true tagline on the movie poster, Bohemian Rhapsody. The other two, completely made up by me. So was the tagline, they're going to rock you, is it mm. fearless lives forever? Or is it nothing really matters? The first one. Oh, it sounds like a musical. They're going to rock you? Yeah, it sounds like a musical, doesn't uh, well, it? I mean, it is their song. But no, you're incorrect. The actual tagline is, Fearless lives forever. What? Or, Fearless lives forever. I don't know how to read it. But, uh, Why? Why? Because he's fearless, Dave, and he's going to live forever. This is what I'm talking about. How do we not have a job writing taglines? I don't know. I don't know. They're so bad most of the time. You know what it is? It's one of those things where it's like uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. The problem is we just don't send them in. Maybe Hmm. we could actually get paid for this shit. It's just everybody's scared to do it because, you know, it seems like it's a job that's taken. Dear movie studio, you have a problem. All of your taglines are awful. Which, uh, well, I remember that last Queen video where he was, Freddie Mercury was just emaciated. Yes. And he yeah, looked he like he so weighed. Skinny. What song was that? Was that, uh, is the that show Break must free? go on? No, Break Free is when they're in drag. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's right. I'd like to break free of this conversation. Anyways, this movie stars Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury, Gwilym Lee as Brian May, Ben Hardy as Roger Taylor, Joseph Mazzello as John Deacon, and Lucy Boynton as Mary Austin. People's lives are messy. Nothing is ever, you know, straightforward. As it seems. Mm-hmm. I feel really bad for the Mary character in this movie. Yeah, what was that? She's like enslaved. It's like, please don't marry somebody else. Like, wear your wedding wing. I'm like, this is weird. I don't know if any of that happened. It probably did. Who knows? Well, you know, it's crazy. I just thought her life was not part of the notes on Wikipedia of everything they got wrong. So maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe that's that is real. Part. You know, maybe she was enslaved to him. The dark side of Freddie Mercury. I'd like to lean maybe more into that and see like, what was up with that? Yeah. I, we talked, who was it? Uh, it was a Clint Eastwood's longtime love who's also a beard for a famous actor. So they could never actually live mm. together. You know, this is obviously something that was more, we'll say necessary. It should never have been in that era, 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah, you uh, needed to have a, a girlfriend. Yeah. Right. So there's something there that would have made a fascinating, but probably tragic and brutal story. Sure. I don't know if you'd want that. The cinematography is by a guy by the name of Newton Thomas Siegel, or Siegel, whose top four movies from IMDb are this movie, Cherry from 2021, another movie that I really hate. That's the Tom Holland PTSD movie? Yes. I never watched that? it. No, it looked terrible. Don't. don't. It's yeah, the it Russo bro- Here's the thing, Dave. We'll, we'll talk about the Russo brothers uh, this year for uh, uh, Infinity War. Infin- yeah, yeah. Imagine they did that exact style, like superheroes, big drama. bombastic style, but as like an intimate character drama. 
<laughs> just like handshaking. Yeah, he's like at like, the kitchen what table. The fuck is happening? <laughs> Stop it! And also, the rest of the movie is also very bad. The Five Bloods from 2020. Oh, okay. And that's a Spike Lee movie. And mm-hmm. uh, Drive from 2011. Those are the other oh, movies. Oh, weird. He was a cinematographer for. What did we call it last week with Jordan? Uh, not Jack of All Trades, but uh, you guys had a, one of a those workman, names. Or Journeyman. 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 Cinematographer. Like, those are not related at all. Oh, in terms over the of place, a, yeah. Yeah. Roger Deacon, I think he was. He said it was yeah. similar to that. Because those are, some of those actually look good. Some of those do. I love the way the drive looks. Defy Bloods is a good movie. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say the cherry doesn't look good. Like visually, it's just a bad movie. Just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's written by Anthony McCartan with a story by Anthony McCartan and Peter Morgan directed by Brian Singer. I'm putting that Quote in quotes mm-hmm. as we're about to find out. Um, I actually don't have a whole lot of information on this, to be perfectly honest. This is going to go very quickly. This film, Dave, was supposed to happen in the early 2010s. That's initially when Uh it was supposed to happen. Did you read on who was supposed to be Freddie Mercury? Yes. Sasha Baron Cohen. Correct. So, Sasha Baron Cohen. I actually remember this announcement. Reading the announcement, like, Sasha Baron Cohen, going to make this Freddie Mercury movie. I think this was before I had seen him do semi-dramatic work. And I was like, Mm -hmm. ooh, that's a weird casting choice the borat guy to go off and do this i think he may have been able to do it but who knows i don't know yeah i think he could have pulled it off but it wouldn't wouldn't have been this it would have been much darker well it would have been because the creative differences have him leave the project those differences were basically this cohen was really pushing this to be an r-rated film that showed like the warts and all of freddie mercury that is what he was most interested in doing whereas the band wanted a pg-rated film that focused on the band On the music, really, to sell yeah, more albums. Music. Not to be too cynical about it. But that's the thing. It's like you do, if you do want to do like, I know they're not in this movie, but if you want to do like a true to life rock and roll story, that's an R-rated movie right there. Like yes. it's just, <laughs> you can't really get around that. So it gets held up in this developmental hell for a few years until Rami Malek expresses interest to taking it over. A new script is written, reinvigorates the project. Uh, this brings on Brian Singer and the production starts in earnest in the summer of 2017 and Pretty soon, troubles start a-brewing because Malik and Singer, or Malik and Singer, did not get along. They really hated each other and were constantly fighting and screaming at each other on set. Singer starts appearing pretty late into filming days, so making cast and crew just wait around until he decides to show up on set. Cost overruns, that sort of thing. Things come to a head in November of 2017 when Singer just does not return back from the Thanksgiving break. So everyone goes home for Thanksgiving, he does not return back to the set. So his excuse is that his mother is ill and needed to take care of her. Some other people think is that he knew things were about to hit the fan and he didn't want to have like an extradition order thing kind of happen. So he was kind of just staying put. So that didn't uh, occur. 20th Century Fox, who was running the show at this time. This is pre-Disney buyout mm-hmm, officially. Mm-hmm. But, so as uh, they're Fo- failing. <laughs> uh, but Fox... Um, Fox fires him, says, like, we've had enough, you're done. Cinematographer Newton Thomas Siegel steps in for a few days to help film a few scenes before they get Dexter Fletcher hired and brought onto the project. Do not know that man's work. By his own admission, Mr. Fletcher says that the film was mostly done. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two-thirds of it were, like, completely filmed, like, we're already getting into the editing phase, that sort of thing. He just needed to do these small kind of little scenes just to flesh out the narrative. Uh, and to get it across the finish line. But 
the the heavy lifting had already been done. Like the live aid had been shot already and all the other stuff had been done. And then Brian Singer would be swept up into his Me Too issues pretty quickly after this once filming wrapped. And uh, that's the thing. Like you never hear his name referenced in regards to this movie in the marketing. He does not get named even at the Oscars. Like when they, it wins a bunch of awards, his name is never stated out loud. Like it was just like, he's just not a part of this movie. This is where it's weirdness goes on because there was a push to get Dexter Fletcher to be getting co-directing credit on this movie. But at the time, as far as I know, this has now changed. But at the time you were not allowed to have two directors named at the same time as per the Directors Guild of America rules. Unless you, you only ever have group, one. Like yeah. already a team. All this drama does lead it to have an amazing box office run, would be nominated for uh, five Academy Awards. It would Mental. win four of them, making it the biggest winner of the night. It actually won the most Academy Awards <laughs> that ridiculous. year. It's so weird, man. So, so weird. besides Best Picture, which it was nominated for, but did not win, it would be nominated for Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, Best Editing, and best lead actor, it would win all four of those awards. So, look, sound fine. I mean, if you're gonna, what it sounds like, take actual audio from live performances and layer it through, you know, syncing it up to film performances, if you want to call that sound editing. And if I, I don't understand the nuances of balancing music yeah. and audio and dialogue and, and score, it, it's interesting because they have now combined that category into one. It's just best yeah. sound nowadays, but like, from what I remember, best sound mixing is the actual capturing of the sound, and mm. the best sound editing was the is the actual like, no, it's the other together. way around. Best sound editing is the capturing. Best sound mixing is I'm actually putting it all together. So if you want to do that for a rock and roll uh, epic, fine. I mean, I, I don't know what the other categories. Nobody often cares about those awards, so I don't know no, who is nominated yeah. for it. But best actor and what? What's the other best lead two actor? And what what else did they win for? The sound categories and best editing. The editing award is the one that is bonkers crazy to me. Yeah. Like, I just don't get it. How, again, it has the most editing. Yeah, if it's about the volume, then probably. Although, I mean, Infinity War is not an easy film to work through. Because yeah, that this thing is, this is quickly smashed best editing 15 awesome. stories into one. So, we haven't seen all of these yet. But um, the Here nominees, are nominees for best film editing in a motion picture are Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Klansman, The Favorite, Green Book, or Vice. Oh, wow. So not, not that strong, actually. No, I mean, of the two, The Favorite I like. I think there's some great stuff in there. Weirdly enough, this is going to maybe shock you. I actually think of anything, Green Book's editing is actually pretty great. <laughs> mm. uh, I just like how scenes are put together, and they actually have some really smart cuts that mm -hmm. they that they use in there but yeah but of any the of, question of then, any of the awards that's what green book should have won in my well, opinion the question then is maybe we're misinterpreting editing because maybe that is directing right maybe maybe editing is a little bit more technical because you know if we're talking about how to sequence stuff and and how naturally things move into each other that's likely the director's oversight right i mean it's the overall uh, feeling and tone of the film so maybe we over attribute. I honestly think the process. To be really honest, I bet you anything. I have no way to prove this. This is just a hunch. I bet you anything. What happened is that word got out in the community 
that is like this movie piece of dog shit saved in the editing bay mm, yeah and they probably just awarded it for it. like this was unwatchable and this guy was able to make it into something that was watchable iron man should have got an oscar then from the legend of how that that thing was born marvel was inevitable uh, mm. you know the, the just stories like behind just like Thanos. <laughs> the stories behind iron man coming to fruition is is crazy well besides that is there anything else you want to say about this movie dave not really I, we're really rushing through this today but not all that much to talk about i don't no, think in uh, to this movie let me think yeah i mean the costuming too was fine i don't mind the look i mean they really did a reasonably good job in making the band evolve through the costuming and sort of styles mm. that the band actually went through. I just wish it had more meaning, you know? Like, I wish that the, the yeah. band wasn't so paper thin. I wish we hadn't glossed over so much of the stuff. It just feels so false. This is, this is essentially, for me, cotton candy cinema, which is like, yeah. you can feel like, oh, this is, this is good. Uh, at the very beginning and then you eat the whole thing and it's like I'm sick (laughs) I don't like this there's no like caloric benefit there's just nothing of substance by the end of it if they had made this exact process of a film for any other band in the world it probably would not have worked (laughs) like I'm trying to think of a band the Marshall Tucker band is who they like it wouldn't have worked for the Beatles because no. their story is way too, it's even more complex than this. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked for... That's a great thing. I mean, this it must be a Paul McCartney thing or a Ringo thing. Why hasn't there been a biopic of the Beatles made? The Beatles, I mean, if you look at their history, it is so convoluted. And their breakup is so messy. But I mean, that rooftop sequence, like that would yeah. be yeah. what you would make the movie about, personally. That's what I would yeah. do. I don't know. And they probably did so much drugs that it'd be too hard <laughs> To skip over that, right? Yeah. I mean, that, and do that you, 60s period. Uh, is yeah. a mess. It might be one of those things like, whether you like the movie or not, like the King's Speech mm. was a movie that was only made because the Queen Mother said, You can make this movie, but I have to be dead first. And then it took her till 102 before she passed away. But I wonder if it's something like that because, in my opinion, not that you have to have this in there, but like, how awful of a person do you show John Lennon to be? Because. Right. The guy beats his wife and like shuns his kid. Like, do you actually put that into the movie or no? Well, that's the thing, you know, like uh, any of these biopics we have, you know, when we watch Gandhi, when you read about Gandhi, he's not a fucking saint. He's a human being. Right. right? And so you have to approach these things with enough detachment to get a real story. And if Queen the band is, I mean, it, it makes sense that all of... The band members are essentially whitewashed, not to make too much of a racial term out of it. We learn nothing about their relationships. No. It looks like they're celibate throughout the whole fucking thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. We, we get some attribution that they did write some music and they kept the band together with their like, you know, almost like a monk-like zen state. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing phases them. It's a joke. Yeah, and, it is. Like, uh, again, if you're, gonna make, if you're going to make the, the rock star lifestyle, it's like you have to kind of show it or else it does feel like it's just... This doesn't feel realistic at this point. Not that you have to like lean into the debauchery for like extended periods of time. No, but you still have to understand that this is where they're coming from. Yeah. Just reduce it down. You don't have to do the full the full history of the band. Just the one portion of their story. Well, That's fine. It's I'll compare it to Yes Georgia in this sense. Like just turn on Spotify or Apple Music and just and listen, listen to Queen. This, listen to the albums, right? Like mm-hmm. if you listen to Luciano Pavarotti, he will make you cry. He's a fucking right? Like god mm. talent but if you watch that movie you want to punch yourself in the face and while this isn't <laughs> as egregiously bad it sullies queen's reputation i think in only in that we learn nothing about them it's a waste of time just a mess we're done here
All right, well, the machine has said that we do have to wrap things up here. So let's move into critics choice. Um, Dave, do you still have access to the document? Uh, I can, if you want it. I'll get you to read the second one here in a moment, uh, <laughs> so that I'm not talking all the time. So this is Critics' Choice. This is the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time the film was released. A positive review comes from Marin Johns of Curve, who writes, Rami Malek is brazenly resplendent in this role, summoning Mercury's high-energy performance antics as well as his mournful, introspective side. They're not talking about the movie, but yeah, Rami Malek's good in <laughs> sure. it. I just wish they had uh, given him smaller prosthetics so we could actually hear what he says. What did uh, what did someone else say, Dave? You wrote, you selected Kate Stables from Sight and Sound, so it's probably going to be negative because it's Sight and Sound. Yeah, Brian- pretentious magazine. <laughs> Brian Singer's trite, tidy, but powerfully soundtracked biopic of Freddie Mercury's fantastic journey from immigrant baggage handler to rock god renders the outsized ride of his life with surprising mundanity. Huh, that's fair. That's basically the concise thing that we have just spoken about for an hour and eight minutes. <laughs> I think that's right. It's like, uh, what did she give it? I'll give the same score. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't click through. I no. did not click through to see what her rating was. Well, Dave, do you think this holds up and is it still culturally relevant? No, absolutely not. I'm going to know and know across I'm the I'm going to know and know as well. I mean, of course, I don't think it holds up. I can't imagine... Maybe I'll be proven wrong. I cannot imagine this being, being something like in 20 years, like, oh my God, no, it's a great movie. Bohemian Rhapsody. No, that people no. are even going to still be talking about it. To be really cynical, like the idea of Live Aid is this optimistic American thing. Mm. Guess what? A way more of the world is in famine now. Like, I don't know, even Woodstock, I think kids are not holding Woodstock up as this you know, master festival right. lore. So uh, as the baby boomers and Gen Xers die and uh, early millennials, you know, I think all these new kids, they'll find Queen. The music's still yeah, I think that music will survive eternal. for sure. Yeah. But this movie's garbage. It's too bad. I Also, like the Beatles, at some point, someone's going to make a better movie about it. You know? I think so. Well, oh, that was the thing I forgot to bring up because now, because it was such a success, they want to make a sequel to this movie. How? Why? The band is pushing for it because they want to focus on the band, Dave. Oh, so they want to see, crazy. like, after Freddie dies, what does the band do? I didn't watch it, um, but what people just need to do is apparently pay Peter Jackson a fuck ton of money and just get him to make a miniseries about the actual content. I actually still want to watch it because literally everyone who has watched it said one of the best documentaries I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So, okay. Like we talked about with biopics, if you want a, if you want a documentary and just watch a documentary, if you want to make a film, have a tighter narrative mm-hmm. and go thematic. It's a short story, right? It is such an eye-opener, though, because uh, on Letterboxd, you, if you pay for it like I do, you get the stats page you can go to. And there's these bunch of different categories that will track, right? So it's like you've seen 90% of the best picture Oscar winners and you've uh-huh. watched like 50% of the whatever AFI top 100 sort of thing. But they have the this is me being honest here and i'm not happy about this but it's like the top 100 documentaries of all time and then the top 100 movies directed by a woman and and both of them i've watched like 12 percent of the movies i'm like it's still pretty high i don't know i mean yeah it's like uh when you read books some people really want fiction and some people Mm -hmm. only want to read autobiographies or some people read you know business books or self-help books but you'll seldom have someone that likes to read all five categories right right? they're just 
totally different. You know, we argued about Katsukoyanaski oh, or whatever it's called. Katsi, yeah. Is that art? The people who like that type of film absolutely believe it is. And the people that watch uh, Infinity War will punch you in the face if they are made to watch that movie. Yeah. I mean, I want to bring this back up in a, in a later episode. Maybe we can do it for the Infinity War episode, but... Uh, You're both pretentious in different ways. We do need to rate this film, but before we do, uh, that is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave at machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also release videos on our YouTube channel, and if you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page. That's letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily, which would really be helpful going forward, just saying, by the end of yeah. March, probably now, we need some really great. <laughs> How do we sound more desperate? Do we need a different prosthetic in our mouths? Will we win an award you- then? Can you do an Oliver impression? Are you able to do that? Please, sir. We need to prevent the apocalypse from happening, folks, is what I'm trying to say. So you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. And something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. As long as it's a five. Uh, right. So let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, David Mercury, what are you going to rate Bohemian rhapsody i'm i'm trying not to be too bitter but i'm struggling with whether i'm writing this for the music or the movie and i think my brain is jumping at a two but i feel like i need to go to a 1.5 because we did not bring up a single positive point okay an hour and 15 minutes here is here is my two positive points (laughs) rami malik's fine these are my two positive points okay I legitimately think, I know that our guest Jordan said it was just like a paint by numbers thing. I do actually think that the live aid sequence is actually genuinely pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And secondly, there's only one other shot that I actually really like is the uh, the light in the window and how it's oh, framed. Yeah. So you see yeah. her window flashing, then you see him flashing his. They're like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's probably from like a Hitchcock film or something, but yeah. That's, uh, that's about it I'm going to be able to say <laughs> as far as like a super positive about this movie. Yeah, it's, it's tough because... Uh, no, I'm going to go with 1.5. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. The music's incredible because Queen's incredible, but I can't, yeah, I can't mm-hmm. go higher than that. It just uh, I feel am right. going to give it a two. I think I do err on the fact that like it's bad, but it's also pretty bland at the same time. So like, I have a feeling like in a few years, this is going to completely leave my brain until someone reminds me like, oh yeah, they did make a Queen movie, didn't they? We we turned it on and even Helen turned it off. Like she was yeah. just like, I can't believe I thought I liked this movie. And I'm like, we just like the music. Well, Dave, uh, say hello yeah, to our next gotta... lowest rated film, our newest it's our lowest duck. rated film. It's our first duck. It's the <laughs> first duck. Yeah. This is uh, of course going to average to 1.75 before we'll rate down to 1.5. It'll enter our list at the new number eight position, right underneath the green book. So that's where we're going to be. I still don't think this will be our lowest rated film by the end of this uh, this year, in my opinion, no, we'll but we shall see. Just some vitriol. Uh, there's another one that I have a feeling I'm going to rate far lower than this. That being said, we should find out what we're watching next week. So let me push this button. A little, a little synergy that's going on here today. We're going from Radio Gaga to Lady Gaga. Ooh! See what I sorry, did. There. I thought we were doing Vice. Yeah, let's no, do. No, we're going to first go to A Star Is Born. Okay. 
just because of Netflix and us not having any money. I just presumed we would do Vice. Yeah, it's on, it's on Plex. You can watch yeah. it anytime you want. Uh, yeah, good. I Do you hate this movie? I feel like this is a movie you hate. I didn't hate it. I, I, found I remember it... liking it actually quite a bit, but not liking the ending. That's what I yeah, remember. <laughs> yeah, I think I liked, I liked Lady Gaga in it. I think it's pretty dour because of all yes. the alcoholism. And I've never seen the original. So well, there's four of them, Dave. So right. The, so which ones you want to watch? Not Chris Christopherson, which is the one. You, well, you, there's the one with uh, uh, Judy Garland, right? And then there's the actual original one back in like the 40s. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't seen any of them, but I remember Helen and I like not being upset watching this. I think just by the end, I can't remember what happens at the end. I, I got tired of it. I will go into more detail next week. You get to hear pretentious Kyle push up his glasses. I like the music of the, of the song Shallow, mm-hmm. but I think the lyrics are terrible. <laughs> They're terrible. <laughs> right, we'll but we'll out. talk about that next week. All right. I do like Lady Gaga, though. If you're, if I'm, a, I'm a little monster. I was never a big fan of her, exactly. like when she became famous, but uh, I'm gaining a lot of respect for her because uh, she stayed with it. Like, it's just who she is. It's not like... I thought she just came out and tried to be a Madonna, which she kind of did. She kind of did. I mean, well, yeah. She, we'll talk about next week about her performance art. Like, that's yeah. a lot of what her thing is, is all performance. All right. Well, this uh, Dee Dee Hess daughter, I'm going to we'll have to hear like, more. presuming a lot. We uh-huh. haven't ID'd her yet. Uh, well, luckily enough, Dave, I did do a swab. I was going to ask. I, I, I swabbed I'm pretty her. sure the DNA company's around, so we just got to get her to spit in a tube, and yeah. uh, we're going to be good. Which I, which I did. I'll, I'll go into it more next week, uh, but I got her to spit in this tube, and uh, the, re- the results are going to take a while, so uh, wait on bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing you're good at. It's uh, extracting saliva from strangers. I think both of you would be better with some dental work done.